0: Welcome to Prompted by Nature, a weekly podcast that explores the connection between nature and creativity through storytelling. Each week we'll dive into heartfelt conversations with the humans working in and with nature to support our planet and the creatures, including us, that inhabit it. Each conversation is punctuated by a meditation and writing prompt created by me, Helen, a meditation teacher, writer and outdoor creativity guide to help you to explore the issues and topics covered in a more meaningful and creative way. Because when we allow ourselves time and space to deeply listen and connect, we bring ourselves closer to a place in which we can truly live prompted by nature. Welcome to Series 3, Episode 5 of Prompted by Nature. It's been a bit of a week here, so I hope this one finds you well. So I noticed recently that I've had a few more listeners to the podcast um, and I thought I would just say a quick hello and give some thanks to the countries we now have tuning in each week. Um, So I'm Helen and it's really lovely to meet you. Um, Hello to listeners in the following places, which my podcast provider kindly shows me and actually what made me what made me laugh is that you can you can filter it by planet so obviously I don't have any listens in Mercury, Venus, Mars or any of the others which is a shame really but I do have listeners here on earth so I wanted to say hello and thank you to everyone in the UK which is my biggest listener base, the United States um, and if I click through Washington, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, Texas, Florida uh, the list goes on. Um, in fact, wow, that's a lot of states. I hadn't um, I hadn't looked fully at that. But hello to you. Hello to Australia, Canada, Netherlands, Ireland, France, Sweden, Germany, Poland, Spain, Chile, Estonia, Bermuda, Switzerland, Belarus, Belgium, Philippines, Greece, Luxembourg, Brazil, Isle of Man, Israel, Norway, Portugal, Uh, Argentina, Turkey, South Africa, Italy, Myanmar, Colombia, uh, Singapore, India, Ghana, Mexico, Kenya... Taiwan, Croatia, and Eswatini. Thank you so much. Um, It may be that people have only listened in once and then switched off, but I just wanted to say thank you wherever you are. Um, And I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, my gender split. So I have female, male, and non binary, non binary. And it's really lovely to have you all here. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you really because I thought now would be a really nice time. Anyway. Back to today's uh, conversation, so this week I'm speaking with medical herbalist Barbara Wilkinson of the Herb Society, following a lifelong passion for health and nutrition. Barbara qualified as a consultant medical herbalist in two thousand and twelve. She's a member of the College of Med- Medicine and Integrated Health and runs the Springfield Clinic of Natural Healing in Cheshire. Barbara is an advocate of cultivating the use of plants in everyday life and keen to empower people with the confidence to embrace food as medicine. As well as running her own practice, is a trustee for the Herb Society and has appeared as a guest speaker at numerous events and com- conferences. She has an allotment where she grows produce that's used for medicines within the practice and has worked with the Herb Society on designing gardens for the RHS flower show, Tatton Park. In 2018, she appeared on the BBC's coverage of the RHS flower show as part of the special segment looking at fermented foods. And she recently supported horticulturalist Alice Fowler in producing her new book, A Modern Herbal. In this conversation, we discuss Barbara's work and the part her upbringing plays in her work, her grandparents' and parents' work running a temperance bar and how this influences what she does, Barbara's personal connection to nature, her work with the Herb Society, the importance of consultations in herbal medicine and working with a qualified herbal therapist, her advice for working with and growing plants, how her work and creativity intersect, what she wants to pass on to you and she speaks passionately about her hopes for the future. Barbara's a font of wisdom and it was really lovely to connect with her and learn about her relationships with plants and how this influences every part of her life. If you'd like to connect with Barbara you can find her over on the Herb Society Instagram where she posts about her allotment and information about how to grow herbs and plants as well as an abundance of wisdom about their therapeutic and medicinal value. Their Instagram is at the Herb Society UK and their website is www.herbsociety.org.uk. As always, you can find me on the website www.herbsociety.org promptedbynature.co.uk where you can find all the information about my upcoming in-person retreats which are restarting down here in East Sussex very soon and which I'm very excited about plus my ongoing online classes. If you'd like to join the growing Patreon community you can go to my Patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash promptedbynature to find out more find about the incentives the tiers and sign up. The subscriptions are three to nine pounds a month and I am cramming everything into each of those tiers. I'm also on Instagram at prompted.by.nature if you'd like to connect there. Remember to stick around until after the conversation to hear about the writing prompt that follows this episode. Happy listening and I'll speak to you after.
1: Well hi everyone I'm Barbara Barbara Wilkinson. Um, I'm a medical herbalist that's registered um, that started to do my formal training quite late in life I actually started at 50 uh, to do my formal training but we'll talk about that no doubt throughout uh, our podcast I live in the South Manchester area of Cheshire not too far from the Manchester airport and you can actually um, discover if you were to see me that I'm in my room right now which I call my consulting room Uh, and that's where I work from I work from home I was invited a few years back to be a trustee for the charity of the Herb Society UK, um, which is now a 95-year-old educational charity, which again, we will talk about. Um, so I'm also very privileged that I have opportunity to reach out to a lot of people and connect with people. And that's how I'm here today, really.
0: I love that. So I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that you said that you came to it later in life, because whenever I see you you know, on social media and you're talking about the garden and and you have such a wide knowledge of, you know, what you're doing and what you're planting. And how did you come to to find this kind of path later in life? How did that how did that happen? Well, it's a bit cheeky to say
1: I came to it later in life. I did my formal training later in life
0: okay. to, to
1: qualify because of um, how life led me really. But my mother was a herbalist, but not trained and qualified. So was my grandfather. So I was brought up quite different than my peers of of my generation. Um, I wasn't really fully vaccinated. I never went to a doctor. I actually never saw a doctor until I went on for further education and had to register (laughs) so that was a whole new experience because I was always treated by my mother basically and um, there used to be things around like local herb shops in town centres and people could easily get stocks of supplies of anything that they wanted and the old-fashioned herbalist was also usually generations of again, herbal people with knowledge and skills that could advise you. So when you went in the shop, you more or less had a consultation as well, quite different than how things are today. But my upbringing was such that food was medicine and um, medicine was herbs and herbs and spices and everything else. So my love as a child was always nature. So I was never in because my parents actually were in business working seven days a week till 10 every night. Wow. In a corner shop which in those days was an off license but their former life before they had me um because I'm the second child they had a temperance bar which is of course no alcohol so quite a change when they wow. got the two children they needed more income they thought they also needed less hours because when you had a temperance bar in those days you made all your own brews so your own dandelion and burdock sarsaparilla some of your own capsules all sorts of things to sell in your temperance bar. So they were brewers when the doors were shut. They were doing all sorts of other things. So they always worked with herbs and spices. And this applied to the public. But having made the second child, um, they realised they wanted less hours. So (laughs) seven days a week till 10 every night was less hours. My goodness. (laughs) Which is quite astounding, really. But they did get Sunday afternoon off, but always had to open the shop again at 7 o'clock. So I was actually brought up in business until I was 15 years old. Wow! Um, in that kind of a business, which is a very, very good grounding for anybody that wants to deal with the public, mm. because if you stand behind a counter or you are a service to the public, then life is a completely different view. Mm. So really, I was brought up in that world, um, and went on my my interest was really in the food industry, mainly because of an uncle and. Um, an aunt who wasn't actually related to me but when I used to stay on a farm in my childhood um, it encouraged me very much <clears throat> to um, be interested in preserves and orchards and animals and how to lay food down for the winter months and the seasonality because the aunt the elderly aunt who was more like a grandmother um, which sadly I'd lost too soon but the aunt was the replacement grandmother, and she taught me those skills and encouraged me. Uh, whereas mum was so busy working, she didn't really have the time to show me how to do as much in the kitchen. Um, and I absolutely loved it, jams and chutneys and going picking your damsons and your apples and coming back mm. and dealing with it and learning how to bake bread and do all sorts of things. It was just a completely, you know, a world that opened up and a, a way of life that's never left me. Mm. I was very, very fortunate. And so I went on really into the catering world. I went into food, but very quickly realised where I thought I was going to go was nothing like that world. (laughs) The hotel and restaurant business was so money orientated and even the top ones, I was quite staggered at the quality of what was actually being provided and supplied. And I was interested, of course, in the nutritional element and the health element and the you know, the combination of mm. from the farm to the to the plate, really. So I, I left it at mm. time. I left it and then I ended up marrying and bringing my children up and mm-hmm. bringing them up in a similar way to a, how I was brought up. Never going to doctors, etc. Yeah,
0: there's something really I love what you said about, you know, your aunt being a kind of replacement grandma and teaching you all of these skills and these ways and there's something there about like the intergener- intergenerationality or intergenerational approach to upbringing yeah. and I, I feel like I know for myself you know my grandparents um well my on my dad's side they died when I was very little and then on my mum's side they lived in Somerset and we were in London so we didn't see them that often and there wasn't that mm you know, that connection, we had, um, we had like a lady up the road called Mrs. Knight, who was our kind of, you know, surrogate grandma, but there wasn't that, in terms of that mm-hmm. kind of knowledge, I think maybe, you know, that we didn't, I didn't have any kind of knowledge really passed down from my grandparents, and I, but I love the fact that mm-hmm. you had this wisdom, this wisdom of plants, and the earth passed down to you in that way, has that really influenced way that you work. Totally, totally
1: because as a a child home life was busy and parents were busy but the the beauty of the um, relationship was that I wasn't a latchkey kid, they were always there so there was a safety and a comfort that they were always there but by the same degree there wasn't all the things that children have these days so you didn't stay in your room and play, you were out (laughs) Apart from in the depths of winter when there was ice on the inside of the windows and you know, all sorts of things were different. But then you were sledging and you were snowing, doing all sorts of other things. But it's, it, yeah, definitely. I mean, I was, a, I was an outdoor type of child. I loved animals. I at one time thought I wanted to do, um, be a vet mm. um, because I was always around horses in particular. And I used to ride. I could never afford my own because there's father's very knowledgeable say. You know, it's not the buying; it's the running, which mm. is a bit like a car and all sorts of other things. You know, it's uh, it's the expense of everything else. But I loved animals, and I had um, quite a way of connecting with them. And I was taught again from childhood how to be safe around animals. You know, in a field of cattle mm. with a dog that you didn't know. You know, with horses, how to approach the body language, the communication skills. So, you know, you just soak it up as a child. And if you ta- if you taught those things, because my father was always around farms. So, you know, every weekend we were up and up and around farms and in the summer. We used to go help with the haymaking and all sorts of things, which, again, I absolutely loved. So it just encouraged me more and more that, you know, that was the right sort of life that gave me lots of pleasure. It was like eternal summers, really yeah wonderful yeah it was i was very privileged and i always appreciated the older generations as well because it's so much knowledge Mm. and so much skill and when you do get talking with older people they're they're only too generous to share and to pass on the knowledge and in in reality you realize as you get older yourself that you do want to pass information on that you you don't want to it to be lost I mean, um, the lady that I helped and worked with as a herbalist was desperately seeking, really, somebody for many, many years who, sh- who would be able to take on not only her patience, but her knowledge and pass it on and her teaching and her, and her skills. So I was very, very fortunate how life turned out.
0: Mm. And before we kind of get onto on um, like the specific kind of herbs and herbal society stuff, um, what, well, firstly, I'm really curious about this temperance bar thing. <laughs> Before I ask you <laughs> yeah. anything else, when you said that, I was like, my goodness, because I don't really drink. In fact, I haven't had a drink in yeah. a while. And that to me feels actually, when you explained that, I was like, that feels so. It would be very millennial of me to say that feels so modern because <laughs> do you know what I mean? Things if things go things go full circle. Yeah,
1: we are trendy, and I regularly use the term. You know, I'm trendy because I've, yeah. I've got grown up kitchen you know, and it it's a laugh, and it's and it's nice to say. But in reality, it's just things come back, but in a yeah. slightly different guise. Yeah. And you, the reason why temperance started in in the first place was because the men earned the. I mean, we're at home with the families and the children in the main, or working so many jobs as doing all sorts of menial tasks for pennies, and they were reliant on their husband's wages coming home, and half the time the money never even came through the door because mm. it was drunk in the pub. You know, on a Friday night, as soon as they were paid the weekly the weekly wages, so the the churches and the the other people decided that this was so wrong. You know that that families. And big families as well. They had absolutely yeah. nothing. They could they could they could put no food on the table because the husband had drunk it all. And no matter how bad he felt about it, he continued to do it week by week, month by month. So really, temperance came in as a movement um, to encourage people to have a different way of thinking and a different approach. And um, so it was it was linked with religion, but really it was just another way of life. It was just another way of thinking. And so, yeah, what's happened now with people thinking, oh, actually, I don't think the alcohol particularly suits me. Um, Or, you know, like in in some cases, I hear people say, well, I want to set the example for my children now and the people around me. So it's not what we say, but it's what we do that leads by example. So people see your way of life. And it might take years for the penny to drop, but it's the way of life. But eventually... um, children in particular think and reflect on, oh, I remember my mother doing something about that maybe, or my father or, or whoever, you know, and it will have an influence. Because as they say, you know, everything in life, no matter how small, touches the life of others mm. in a good or a bad way. Mm. But it, it, we influence um, without even realising it. Mm. Things get picked up, get noticed and get passed on.
0: Mm. And were they, sorry, just to bang on about the temperance bar more because I just (laughs) find it really interesting was it kind of herbal um like concoctions and and that because you mentioned about the dandelion and burdock and yeah um, well
1: it was because that was life really um people um used to buy in dried roots and dried herbs and the I mean I've got photographs of my grandparents shops and they're sometimes put on my Instagram feed and and then my parents shop And Vimto was a big thing. And I mean, that's a trade and a brand name. It used to sell big out in Saudi Arabia because they didn't use to drink alcohol. Of course, yeah. And Vimto, when it started, funnily enough, it started just three miles away from where I currently live. Um, It is no longer, of course. But Vimto was a herbal drink. It was made for its health properties. It's changed considerably and it mm. is no longer but its basis of the recipe was all based on herbs and to be a healthy choice mm. and of course dandelion and burdock ancestrally we've always drunk we've always harvested we've always made and people had skills in their own home knowing how to do it it's as life changed and people had to go out to work and mm. work in different fields they didn't have the time or the skill to actually make their own so they started buying in and now it's gone mad hasn't it but huge and not in a good way for some, sadly um but yeah they made all the like ginger beer you know which wasn't actually beer yeah yeah uh, yeah sarsaparilla which unless you've tasted real sarsaparilla it's nothing like the stuff you get these days oh really um i mean there are bottles that have been brought back with nice branding branding and vintage look but really they taste nothing like the originals
0: wow
1: you know it's it's quite a different product Mm.
0: um so one thing I did want to ask you was about your own connection to nature before we yeah talk about the more kind of broader things um, and specifically, well, we could start with whether you have a first memory of nature and, and yeah, just, just, I'd love to hear something about your connect, your own personal connection with nature.
1: Yeah. Well, my early childhood memories are um, when I used to go down to the stables, um, probably about six or seven year old and I'd ride little Shetland ponies. Uh, I'd probably be younger than that. And then I never wanted to leave and I'd end up down in the brook and I'd be catching tadpoles and putting frogs in pockets and being <laughs> amazed with water coming over my welly boots and all sorts of things like that. And, and literally never, never wanting to leave, just, just enjoying everything about it and not always needing the company of others either. Cause I was so content with just, doing what I was doing and I was all consumed really and fascinated by it. So your typical childhood sort of fun, excitement, adventures really, uh, getting muddy, perhaps mm. walking, getting wet, all sorts of things. And, and I can distinctly remember as a child, um, flooding occurring at the farm where I used to go to in Pilling, which is on the Fowl Coast, and the um, seawater used to come up because it was all affected by the moon. So I learned a lot about the moon and, oh. the, and the planets through all that. And you could never leave the farm without knowing the tidal flow and what time to be back for. I used to have a bike I could use. I wasn't allowed a bike at home, but I could use a bike and, and tootle around. I was older by then. Um, and I remember on one particular occasion, there being been a very high tide, and the front fields um, actually came over the uh, the bank and the front fields were flooded. And I was worried about the ducks in the orchard, <laughs> the ducklings. Oh. And I can distinctly remember seeing these ducks so I was swimming across with the mum and coming up on the bank where I was. Um, and I was trying to pocket all the ducklings and keep oh. them safe. And he kept popping
0: out of my pockets. <laughs> I bet. I bet the mummy duck wasn't very pleased.
1: No, it was hilarious, really. When I look back on it, but at the time I was quite concerned. Yeah, there was there's lots of ducklings, and yeah, and the mummy duck, and it was it was when I look back on it, it was hilarious, really, because I didn't, you know, I didn't put two and two together that really they were completely safe and they were absolutely fine, and I didn't yeah. do anything. <laughs> I know that.
0: Yeah. I feel like that like that kind of human concern that we have for animals kind of goes like can often kind of cross the the threshold of caring and then just like intervening and damaging you know making things worse
1: yeah well so around, we, yeah when i went back and saw ans and uncle they did say that you know that the, they explained how certain things they know how to survive yeah. they're built for these conditions yeah. and all those sorts of things so again another lesson learned
0: yeah yeah definitely we um we go to there's uh, a forest local to us friston forest and um we went there oh it was uh, it was when uh it was a baby blue tip basically i took the kids over there and we were walking through we were going to go back to the car to come home and we could hear this, you know, this tiny little thing, and it was a, it was a baby blue tit had fallen out of the nest, and my daughter was bereft. She was just, but we could see the bird kind of mm-hmm. coming down and and up and and you know checking the the mum and the dad checking on it, and I ended up contacting a friend. I was like, should we should we move it? She was like, no, because it might be that you know it gets rejected. But yeah. yeah, I think it's all very well to care, but it's, yeah, sometimes like like it you're, it's best but to leave well life. alone
1: it's like how we keep hearing about hedgehogs and the time mm. of year and you know this we've always got that uncertainty because we're not that full of them we haven't got that true knowledge mm. um so our lifelong learners yeah not know it all but gradually we're picking up more information as we go along
0: yeah definitely um okay so i would really love to hear about uh, your work with the herb society how did you get involved what do you do what is the herb society Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Okay, well, as I said earlier, it's it's now in its ninety-fifth year, um, and it started out really as a lady um, who was um, going to be a doctor, and she was also somebody involved in theatre work, and she was doing a training to be a doctor, and she met and married uh, somebody connected with the theatre, and ended up having two two children, and of course, her progression in her career couldn't really happen. She's quite a privileged lady because she was from quite a a good, wealthy background. So she was well-read, knowledgeable, academic and had money um, and influenced a lot of um, friends as well. But what she learned while she was training to be a doctor was that all medicine came from plants and the importance of keeping that knowledge and actually using it. And she learned that herbal medicine was something where you use whole plants, not isolated extracts as well even though the science and knowing what's actually in them is very important and something that everybody working with them needs to know. But she actually became a herbalist. She was very well read. She acquired a huge library um, and she looked at Culpeper and Gerard and Parkinson and all the people of history and all worldwide cultures and a whole array of things. But she also had a huge interest, once again, which most herbalists do, in food and the fact that it's really part of the food chain and that it all goes together. It's food and medicine combined, and really it's not separate. And so she, she wrote books, even children's books, cookbooks, her books, she did uh, all sorts of things. And she was instrumental in when the British government wanted to stop herbalism once again, which happens quite regularly, <laughs> being bones at the stake and everything else that does mm-hmm. happen. Um, after the Second World War, There was a big surge in um, changes in farming and um, the introduction of agrochemicals and also in how to feed the nation. Oh, we must be more self-sufficient or we must actually work with other nations. And things changed very, very quickly. And they wanted, of course, the growth of the pharmaceutical industry. And they didn't want people having access to herbs and going to herbalists anymore. So they were introducing an act through government which would have banned the work of all herbalists. And of course, some herbalists are trained and some aren't. Some Mm -hmm. it's handed down knowledge, like it used to be with our ancestors, our villages, our tribes. There was always the wise man or the wise woman. So, you know, there wasn't always a need to have people professionally trained. Things have changed as as years have gone on, obviously. But Hilda was um, not happy about that situation. So she let people know about it who were quite influential, Lady this, Baroness that. Um, And she uh, approached the government and she managed to get the act amended so that herbalists could still work as long as they worked like the then doctors, which was through consultations. In other words, you couldn't just sell things over a counter Mm. and fix that, Mm -hmm. which is not how registered herbalists work anyway. Um, It's through consultations still. Um, you wouldn't expect to see a doctor on a market stall and say, what can I have for my bad throat? And while you're here, can you just look in my throat? Yeah. You know, same sort of thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Sell me something and it'll be a quick fix. So it's a consultation and it's treatment. Um, so what she formed as a result of that, because she was already a herbalist, is she, she formed the Society of Herbalists, she called it. And she then had a membership group So people that freely became members on her list of the Society of Herbalists um, could have consultations. And she was the Mm. consultant herbalist. And she then developed the Culpepper shops. She took the name of Culpepper and she created a brand and a name. And she started in most of the cities in the South, starting in London, in Baker Street. And she opened these high, high street virtually shops that sold all sorts of things. And the viewers won't be able to hear this, but it's a visual thing. But down in the corner, there is some boxes which I have in my room Mm, that I wouldn't. And those were in her original shop in Baker Street. And she had dried herbs in them. Uh, I'm storing them for the Herb Society because our storeroom's tiny. (laughs) So they're on view. People get to see them. And I also, of course, take them to events that I do for the charity as well, so Mm. that people see them rather than just being in the storeroom. But Hilda uh, opened many shops in Bath and Bristol and London and all sorts of places and on her death of course um, those very quickly were sold off because Mm. on her death the Society of Herbalists went and it became a charity then and that's how it then developed into the Herb Society Mm. and it's predominantly run by volunteers, unpaid volunteers, Um, things have changed over the years, changed considerably. Um, and, of course, you have to go with the flow because mm. if you don't change, you die, basically. Uh, certainly, in a charity in a society, you have to go with changing needs and requirements. But what's always an ever-present is that everybody is interested in nature and everybody wants to learn about it and everybody wants to um, have a go at some form of growing, making Um, whatever it may be but drawing nature into their lives and as far as herbs are concerned then that's what we do it's for amateurs and professionals Mm -hmm. so it's for grassroots beginners that don't even have a window box so anything but we can help people and encourage that's what really it's about it's to encourage what we call the joy and the pleasure of herbs Mm. so it's for people interested in maybe learning about plant dyes doing crafts with herbs Mm, growing growing herbs learning how to cook with them how to be creative with them um and the medicinal side is just one aspect of it but there are many many more Mm. and I'm, i'm fortunate that i have um various areas of interest that i've had all my life um and and so i have quite a bit to offer the society as a charity because um I'm actively involved in so many areas and and interested Mm. and and the Herb Society gives me an opportunity to connect and continue to learn Mm. as well. I'm I'm learning every day with the people that I meet and the things that I do.
0: And so how did you get involved in the Herb Society? Did you just (laughs) see them and think,
1: oh that looks interesting? I became a member. The the lady that I used to work with, an elderly herbalist, was a Herb Society member. Mm. used to train students she used to do a whole raft of things so the magazine used to drop through the door and funnily enough she had the same name we were the two barbers (laughs) and she said it's home and have a read and I used to do I used to take the herb society magazine home and really enjoy it and so naturally we talked about it and I learned all about the history and everything going on and then of course I took out membership for myself as well so I was a herb society member and enjoying it. And then just out of the blue on one occasion, I got a phone call and it was to ask me to consider joining the council. They needed some help. And the main reason that they needed some help was that they had shied away somewhat from the medicinal side of herbal medicine in their publications. And and they'd gone more into the cooking and the growing and and craft side of it. And it was mainly because they didn't have an advisor the, you know people come and go on councils and volunteers and they were at the point where somebody had retired from it and they didn't have somebody else and again the government was trying to introduce all sorts of uh, regulations and all sorts of things happening and people were a little bit scared of what they could say and couldn't say and unless of course you're qualified and you have the knowledge and the you can't really state things you have to be careful anyway what you can say and what you yeah. can't but they needed guidance. So they approached me if, if, if I would help them. And of course, I was only too glad and it opened up a whole new world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, that's I kind became of Christine. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were speaking um, about, you know, there are certain things you can and can't say and, you know, well, how we kind of started talking about having a conversation was um, Rebecca who obviously is a previous guest the work that she I was thinking about the way that the two things like what you're doing what she did what she's doing kind of combine in that she's almost you know she's doing that research to give it that you know these are the scientific facts that we found and this is the you know the what did she call it the quality um, yeah, yeah, quality control and things like that, so that it, it's more robust, I suppose, and and more credible to people that otherwise wouldn't necessarily turn to herbal remedies. And I was also thinking about the perhaps the importance of going to someone who is trained to consult and to because I know that I'm I'm very good at like reading all the things and then going oh I'll give that a go and give that a go and you know I'm I'm very privileged in that I don't have anything necessarily uh, that I kind of struggle with on a physical side I used to have asthma quite badly Um, so that there was that but that doesn't really affect me now as much as it did but I I feel like there's something there about not everything's going to work for everyone in the same way so it is important to work with someone who is a trained but also give yourself that space to be patient with whatever it is you're trying rather than trying it and going oh it doesn't work I'm never going to use herbs again you know there's something about like yeah absolutely
1: I mean what you're you're describing is is pretty classic of western culture Mm. Uh, (laughs) um, and thinks that it can find out for itself Mm. and and deal and since the world has opened up with an internet and shops that you can go in and just purchase things there and then um then people think that's a, an easy way of doing it my mother said back in the day once certain high street chains started selling supplements mm. as such with um, it was the end of the line for so many good reputations for herbs because people will try them and say they don't work mm. herbalists are very keen at saying to people is that nothing's usually a quick fix It is about patience and it's about understanding. Herbalists actually do their own diagnostic. They are trained in diagnostic skills. And many of them add on to that because of their interests. So they might learn Ayurvedic pulse reading. They might read um, talents, They might do all sorts of also all sorts of different skills so that they hone their diagnostics. So they're not reliant on a patient coming in saying what they've got. Mm. And that's what's difficult for a lot of Westerners to understand because a lot of people like labels and they like to come in with, for example, I've got asthma. Mm. Um, or I had asthma but I haven't got it anymore so but what people don't understand is that asthma is a warning sign about a respiratory weakness and sensitivities and although you might not have asthma as such anymore like eczema anymore the asthma hay fever eczema triangle um, is something that has a bearing on who you are and Um, what your health is like now and, and potentially future as well it's not that it's It's been and it's gone. It's maybe having an effect on what's happening even now. So herbalists spend a good hour and a half with people on a first consultation um, to get background information and to start the journey working with and helping the patient, the individual. But everybody's unique. Everybody's different. There are some general themes because we're all human. But there's so many other factors that affect um, the reason why we've got things that we need help with and assistance with and I mean I took six years to do my training and that's six years of knowledge on top of what really I already had and you don't stop after six years it's continued learning and a lot of people also don't realize that just like other medical practitioners we are required for our registration and our insurance to continually learn and we have to earn so many points, if you like, and prove that we've learned and brought things to our own practice yeah. so that we've got personal development. It's called personal development. So that we can add to ourselves our knowledge and then, of course, offer a better service to the community that we work for. And people don't realise that, I don't yeah. think, because uh, we don't often talk about it. So we are actually all lifelong learners, as as in other professions. Yeah
0: yeah and i and i suppose that you know builds the trust in in people deciding to go to a herbalist it's you know i know that this person is qualified and that they they know what they're talking about they've got the experience most importantly probably like having the the experience of it and
1: um well as an individual helen what unfortunately a lot of people can do is spend a lot of time energy and money yeah wasted. And we can prevent that. So a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm paying for like private health care by going to see a herbalist. We can actually save you an awful lot of money and a lot of let down and mm. a lot of. feeling. Well, that didn't work. So I'll now try this. And a, a lot of patients that we see that have never consulted a herbalist come in with like a carrier bag full of supplements. Mm. For example, they either have nothing at all or they have a carrier bag or a suitcase that they come in with. And that's quite shocking. Mm really, that they think that that's the way to health.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, that's, that's a learning curve in itself, yeah. being able to explain to people that there's other ways of um, addressing the problem. And yes, they might have vitamin and mineral deficiencies, but let us decide yeah. as, the, as the old people, rather than the individual assume that it might be this and it might be that. Because obviously everybody's led by the marketing and the branding and the hype. I mean, who isn't taking turmeric capsules at the moment or some <laughs> consumption? My goodness, the whole world is doing it. Yeah. Because the brand marketing, the hype is just terrific. Mm. Don't get me wrong, it's fantastic, but it's not right for everybody. Mm. It mm. might it might not be right for some people who are taking it and they think maybe they're helping their condition, but maybe it actually might be detrimental to their condition.
0: And so also maybe, a, I don't know, maybe there's something they could grow in their own garden or you know flower pot that might be better for them them. yeah Yeah,
1: would save them a fortune why does everybody buy bagged chemically sprayed spinach even if it's organic it's often gas pumped. why why are they buying it because it's convenient because it's there all the time it's not no longer, there's no seasonality when you shop in a supermarket. Everybody sees it all year round. So they think, oh, it's, it's a constant and it's easy and all. And they consume vast quantities of it. And what they forget is that they could be getting greens that are better for them and healthier and free mm-hmm. from their own garden, mm-hmm. from their own doorstep.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if you learn what's in your own area, and you appreciate what you've already got instead of taking it out and getting rid of it find out what it's actually there for Mm. there is a school of thought and it's rather romantic but often true that what grows in your own patch is what you actually need it's Mm. speaking to you it's in you and Mm. it's quite interesting what suddenly arrives what pops up in your own garden and it might be the very thing that you actually need to be taking so nature's trying to teach you and trying to provide for you and yet you're walking past with eyes closed yeah I was and saying observation
0: yeah I was saying last year I was talking to um someone and I was saying that cleavers you know cleavers are everywhere where I am so I, I started looking into you know I found out about what cleavers do and I started um putting it in water and and that sort of thing and it was lovely and and they're out you know they're starting to come out again now mm-hmm. um I just have to be careful because they're quite often in like dog walking areas so <laughs> I just have to be careful where I pick them from <laughs> yeah.
1: what I call usually common sense uh, as <laughs> you know we don't all live in the countryside and you know even wildlife might have been on things so you have to be you have to be careful even things from trees there's birds Ooh. And all sorts of other things. But again, these are these are things that you learn yeah. and things to find out about. And it's only by looking at where you live, and it's the best starting point is to look at really where you live and what's on your own land, in your own patch, growing out of the cracks even. Um, last year for the charity, or was it the year before, we um reviewed a book we for people who were um, the prisoner's handbook basically, yeah. and it's given free to people in prison. And it it states that, you know, what's growing in the crack might do you far more good, that dandelion leaf, that flower, because often you don't even get your doctor and hospital appointment when you're in prison. It gets overlooked, or they haven't got time or whatever, for whatever reason. So you can actually do some self-help, even in prison. That's amazing. And they get that book for free. Wow. Prisoners do. Yes, they do. And if you know people who are in prison and that would benefit from it, then you can get in touch with them. On the yeah. yeah, it's it's absolutely marvellous. And frankly, that's how we've always lived. We've always kept it simple. There were never all these shops, you know, and we didn't all live in towns. Our, mm. our ancestors, you know, were in, in mine in particular, were in the valleys and the hills, you know, and, and what you said earlier about, you know, not necessarily marrying your cousins as such, but you only married... Family in the next village mm. or in the next you didn't travel you do what you weren't flying around the world doing all sorts of things everything was local so mm. it was about community and it was about you know even if you weren't related that everybody felt like your auntie and uncle mm. and the wonderful thing about other cultures other than western culture they hung on to that yeah you know with a lot to learn we look at other cultures that have come to live in Western cultures that have brought their heritage with them. They've not ignored it and forgotten it. Every woman in a Muslim family is anti-this and anti-that. Mm. You know, and the, the, the same in the Chinese um, cultures. And, you know, they're very into respecting their elder generations and looking after them. And and I think we've got a lot to learn, a mm. lot to learn, because we, we thought we were modern. We thought we were trendy. And we moved <laughs> on and we put other things to one side and 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 moved into other areas and we've lost a lot in the process Lost yeah. a terrific amount half the people in in the UK don't even know their own neighbours or want to yeah well that's sad that's that's sad there's something very wrong with people when um, when they don't communicate and when they don't even know if they can help or or that person needs help
0: yeah it's very easy it's very easy to Um, because you know there there is this fear of I think sometimes of you know sometimes neighbours can be very hostile but then not all of the neighbours are going to be hostile and actually you can form more of community and yeah I do think and I think I mean my partner's very sociable so everywhere we've lived we've always like we lived in a block of flats when we were in London and he knew everyone so we all knew each other and even here now like he'll go to the neighbours so I whereas I'm I am much more like a bit more socially awkward I I find it a bit harder to socialise but he's very good at doing that so that I can you know be a bit braver
1: and I think you have to um recognise in yourself who you are I mean always be true to yourself
0: Mm. and some
1: people find it very difficult to even say hello to somebody that they don't mm. know you know smile at somebody they don't know um th- there was a time when it was encouraged and then there became a time when it was um not encouraged mm. you know when it, with children for all sorts of reasons and we've we've lost something along the way I think but yeah always always be true to yourself mm. definitely mm. it's vital. important if you're not comfortable you know then then go with what it what is comfortable for you. But sometimes you
0: have to challenge yourself. Yeah, and also I think it's, it's you know, it's one thing to be a bit socially awkward or a bit shy and another to be hostile. You know, it's that being friendly, not being, you know, it, yeah. there's such a difference between not speaking to someone because you don't like anyone and not speaking to anyone because you're a bit nervous. Yeah, um, yeah it's that kind Obviously-
1: of other things come into play because we're very visual as humans yeah and we keep up in a in in a nanosecond as they say with people's uh, body language and other things the signals that people give off of, oh don't speak to me and then there's others that are sort of saying oh please speak to me yeah that's nice that you did stop and speak to me they don't actually vocalize it but you can you know, if you learn the art of reading people, it helps enormously. A bit like reading animals, you can tell a dog that's frightened of you. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, it's quite friendly. Mm. It's, it's the yeah. same with everything. So reading the signs, is yeah. um, it used to come intuitively. And yeah. what it does. Um, but you can learn the skills. And I always mm. think it's good to teach children those skills because it, they carry it with them for yeah. life.
0: That's
1: true. a bit more what we used to call wise and a bit more savvy. How not to become a victim? Yeah, and I think it's important that at both ends of life. When you're very young and when you're very old, you don't want to be somebody that's going to be picked on, ridiculed, whatever. You you want to appear to be yeah. a
0: bit stronger, a bit mm. more, a bit mm. more able. Um. So, kind of going back to what you were saying or what we were talking about when we said about um, you know, growing things in your own back garden, seeing what's around. So. I've said this before on the podcast, I'm a very nervous gardener because I really desperately, desperately want to grow food in my back garden. We have like a little wild patch that I have with the kids and and we've kind of talked about growing a few bits and we've got kind of plant pots and um, also for people that don't have gardens as well and they just have a balcony or, or flower pots. Do you have any advice for people who want to grow herbs in their garden and are kind of maybe not really very sure where to start because I I try and look at it I just get so overwhelmed and then I kind of (laughs) a little bit
1: (laughs) it's understandable really isn't it because if it's if it's new to you it is it's a bit scary anything you do that's new is a bit scary really you so want to do it but you're Mm. not quite on the stages and it's the same with cooking and a bit like going to choose a new pair of tights (laughs) When you get in the shop, there are so many to choose from, sizes, colours, denier, all the rest of it. And it's the same with seeds and it's the same with everything else. And, and cooking, what, what do I want for dinner? It's the same. If you go to the shops and you've not got a plan in mind mm-hmm. and you don't already know what you've got in your cupboards and your garden and everywhere else, then it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So it all starts with the planning. Mm-hmm. It's about being organised. Rather than rushing in and I'll buy this pack of seeds and that pack of seeds and then this is what I do (laughs)
0: used yeah I fancy peas and spinach and
1: (laughs) yeah it's what everybody does you know people go oh nuts are really healthy or really good I'll buy lots of nuts and then they never eat them Mm -hmm. and then they've gone rancid things happen so planning is vitally important and start small so Mm -hmm. I usually suggest start with four things Mm -hmm. three of you want. Five, if you want but pick a number that's less than the size of five fingers on your hand Mm -hmm. and choose less and find out more about them and get to know them and let them become your friends so look at the detail be using that visual side that we've talked about as well as all our other senses so we're really learning about plants then if we mm. narrow the field. It's a bit like if you go in a Chinese restaurant and you met with a blackboard that's about five blackboards. Mm. What are you going to choose? It's overwhelming. Whereas if there's only a choice of five or six dishes, it's a lot easier.
0: Mm. And
1: usually the quality is better. Mm-hmm. That goes for the restaurant. So less choice, better quality. Mm. And it's the same thing else that we do, really. So it, for a, a starting point, it depends... When you want to start, because it's very much a seasonal growing thing, Mm -hmm. and it's also about going your taste, because we all taste things differently. So it's about well, what do we like to maybe eat, or smell, or touch, or what do we think we like, and start with those. It's not growing something you don't think you're going to like, or that's completely so new to you. It's it's like a Mm. like a foreign language. So it becomes too difficult. So take take something that. That you might feel is is relatively straightforward and basic. And two of my all-time favourites, and I hate to say that about any herb really because they're all favourites, but two which I think are important in everybody's lives are rosemary and sage. Mm. Both herbs very, very closely related and um, the DNA has been checked basically and and now rosemary is one of the salvia family as well, so it's even more closely related. Chemical constituents are very similar. But the, the virtues of those two herbs are just standing. Mm. And they should be in every life because they not only have huge medicinal properties, they have culinary properties. And they 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 do so much for the limbic system of the brain. They they help us with everything. Everybody knows now about essential oils and the effects they have on the brain. So, you know, it helps with um, all the um, clarity of thought, saves cognitive decline, helps us to be more calm, helps with our blood fats. Both these herbs do these things. Helps with keeping cells healthy. So stops rogue cells going wrong, basically. Mm. It's, it's that. How, how easy can I put it? So huge, huge benefits. They can be eaten, they can be drunk, they can be grown, they can be propagated. They can be touched. They can be felt. They can be inhaled. They can be put in diffusers. You can use them in so many, many ways. You can use them in your home. You can have them if you wanted to. You could have them, you know, in in the house. Mm. But they do better outside, of course. As most things do. Most things like the roots in the earth rather than even in a pot. But things mm. can be grown in pots. But anything in a pot is dependent on you for its survival. Mm. Do you know I'm food and water? Of course, I'm actually feeling
0: really good about myself because just outside the window that I'm sitting in front of, we have like a big wooden trough thing, and in one of them, my partner just made them out of some spare wood. In one of them, there's some sage and rosemary right next to each other. So they're they're just and I just put them in there because I just thought, oh, I'll just see if they're all right. And they've they've overwintered. They're still alive. (laughs) It's amazing. So both
1: good companions, sage and rosemary, both work. They want very similar conditions for growing um, and they, they rather like one another. And they will grow into huge bushes, mm. you know, and, and they're nice to have around in your life. I think they're vitally important. I never really bother to dry them uh, because they stand all winter and they, they do really well. Obviously, the medicinal properties are not as good in the winter as what they are at other times of the year. But they're still usable, you know, mm still get lots of benefits from them and just to touch them just to brush your skin against them and scalp, yeah. oh it's fabulous you know and that's if that's all people do with herbs then that's a benefit to their health and well-being yeah important. Oh, I love that. the colors affect the health and well-being you know anything that that's green has an effect on our brain as well as as with other colors so that the, nature's there to uplift us but it's there mm. to be something that we're a part of and to to work with every day mm. and I'm very fortunate
0: that, that I do mm. um so I've just got a, a few more questions if that's okay um I wanted to a- ask you about how your work and creativity kind of work together um how the creativity feeds your work how your work feeds your creativity if there's a kind of
1: yeah yeah um Well, I've always been quite creative because um, I I don't paint or do anything like that. I used to do some embroidery as a child, which I did later on in life as well, which I always enjoy. So I've I've always loved art, museums, architecture, anything of that sort. So I I surround myself and I delve into that quite regularly, any opportunity that I get. And I find that gardens and landscapes are just part of that same fix that helps to uh, feed the soul and I I enjoy it so I what I call potter or poodle around and even within my own home and my own garden and and I have an allotment which is at the end of my road so I'm always looking for um, things that are free Mm. maybe in a skip or that's getting rid of And um, I'm quite inventive as to how something that might have been made or designed for one purpose can be used perhaps for something else. Mm. Um, Sometimes I just like the fact that it's a rusted piece of metal that looks good. It looks (laughs) like something else. I've got got one of those sorts of ways of looking at things and I can see something else in it. Mm. Um, So I'm very fortunate Um, and I enjoy that. I get a lot of satisfaction and pleasure from that. And so I, I enjoy sharing that as well with other people. Mm. So, through some of the work that I do, I, I really enjoy giving herb walks and doing events, wow. running work voices. And I, I spend a lot of time normally in, in my year booking those and doing all sorts of things. And, and I like to go to different places rather than just in my own area and my own patch. So, if anybody invites me, I'm always up for going if I can, <laughs> if I can do it. And I, but mainly through the charity I've done more and more of that mm. um, so I've, I've been able to do lots of events and I, I work as a speaker as well I go and give talks and I like to do demonstrations as well so we don't only do the RHS the big shows but even the small even if there's only six or eight people I'm quite mm. happy to go it's nice to do anything really so from a creative point of view I get lots of opportunities and lots of outlets and I still like to keep the child within and I still have a nature table. My house is a nature table. Yeah, It's full so throughout the seasons I might have the different things around the home that are currently growing uh, but I will also have the dried seed heads or the pieces of twig with the catkins on or branches or eucalyptus leaves that have dried or the house is just stuffed some would say <laughs> it's quite full which actually I enjoy and give me a lot of pleasure they're not always things that I might be necessarily using in my practice but I, I feel a house without nature a room without nature in it of, of some ways is empty mm. it's not not living something's missing so even houseplants I do have houseplants <laughs> you know, in I love a yeah.
0: houseplant yeah
1: absolutely a, it's what we live with that they're, they're helping us we're helping them. absolutely it's wonderful isn't it actually so, I've know, and got, and
0: got, sorry I'm, I'm just showing Barbara my house just for people who can't see my house plants in the room that I'm in and and we've got we collected this branch with all the lichen on because yeah, obviously okay. it's not green anymore but yeah that just sits up here Look at the
1: details. it's about that observational skill again yeah what we're, what we're doing is doing ourselves observation and awareness. And we're learning because in, when things are living, the difference to when they're drying, the difference to yeah. when they've turned to seed, the difference to when they're now just uh, a totally dry stem or something. So we're learning all the time, and there's beauty in everything, yeah. absolutely everything. And it's just you know, the earth, soil, what's in it, you know, what's riddling around, what's moving, what's decaying, yeah. what's growing, you know, ev- everything is. Um, exciting i find personally so from a creative aspect um i find most things exciting and feel very childlike most of the time um and very privileged to Mm. be able to access things and enjoy things Um, and even in the last year that we've had um i've had a fabulous time with nature because i've had more time yeah Um, some people have been a little nervous about maybe coming in for consultations and I've had to do more of this kind of work, which I don't enjoy and I don't intend continuing to do indefinitely because its it, I don't find it's the best way of working with people at all. Um, it has its place, but it's not for me. I much prefer to work direct with people. Mm. I think communication is key to life. Yeah. And I think meeting people is vital and, and I think we uh, benefit from that all around but I've had a great year from spending more time with my plants and hanging out with them and growing things and I've dried a lot more than I would normally have the time to do mm. uh, as often my my time is taken up with maybe my practice um, and events for the herb society and because a lot of that went and I've had more time to grow more on my allotment and forage for more and dry mm. more lay more tinctures down because I have an alcohol license I can make my own medicines Wow. Capsules. So I do, and I prefer to do that. You can just show Helen. Just, I'm, i I'm just say,
0: I've, I've been admiring that as you've been speaking. There's like four shelves with rows and rows and rows of, yeah. are they bl- the lovely blue bottles?
1: Double and triple, the brown actually. The, the oh, brown. they're
0: brown. Oh, they look blue from here. And they've got labels on and the little tops. It just looks amazing. <laughs> it looks I'm wonderful.
1: i have um have my cabinet of curiosity is uh, where i put my ointments and other things that i make ear drops eye drops mm. all sorts of things creams wow. so I, I i actually spend a lot of my time behind the scenes that others might not see um producing and making but not on a big scale not yeah. to sell and to do online stuff but to look after my patients mm. my family mm. anybody that that needs my services really uh, but I'm not a shop, as I, say, yeah. I people. Um my my time and the things that I produce are for the people that come to consult with me. Mm,
0: it's amazing. It, it just it must be such a lovely space to walk into as well for you. Yeah, to yeah. See I'm on this
1: side of my room, Helen, as, as, as I'm there as well. So I have a very old Victorian sideboard. Wow. Um, with oh, wow which that's full of everything to do with the practice that was in the family and of course it became um the work surface that I can work on as well so I've got bachelor yeah. around well I've got lots of books as you can probably tell I'll show yeah. you another one and things
0: around oh I do love a bookcase I have to say
1: <laughs> yeah I do, I do have rather a lot of books um I, I never stop enjoying those actually no. and I like to read authors and publishers and and that's what we do with the charity we do book reviews i'm not the only person that does them but we do book reviews and we put them on our website as well mm. so uh, charity does does a lot to help people mm. and there's a member page to the charity's website as well and that's a huge cool. benefit to people, especially yeah. amateurs
0: that are yeah. wanting to learn <laughs> like me
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, that's well.
0: yeah so um what's Just So if it's okay, I've got two more questions, uh, if you're okay for time. Um, So first of all, what have you learnt on your journey that you would like to pass on to others?
1: Okay, lots of things, actually. (laughs) How long have you missed? That's fine. I've learned to be more patient and to accept that the general public generally aren't patient they expect things to happen quickly. Um, Our our culture's shown them that and and there is a certain expectation and so I do feel that as herbalists we are also teachers and to remind people of how not only the body works but also how the herbs work and that things can't be rushed and it would be unwise to try and do so Because that word we used earlier about being overwhelmed is Mm. what is very easy to do. We can overwhelm the brain and the body and then we don't make progress. We give up as Mm. a result. So it's better to take things slowly and gradually and observe that other word that we've used quite a lot to assess what's going on and how we're responding. Because we're all different. We're all unique. So... I do help with some students as well in the course of work and I have them come in clinic with me and work with me as well um, behind the scenes sometimes. And I like to pass that kind of knowledge on to future herbalists and future um, uh, students that are coming through in herbal medicine that learn about the public and learn that they've got an expectation And, um, and we are working with them. It is something that we're doing together. It's a two-way street, yeah. uh, you know. And I think I think that's important for people to understand that from from both sides, really. Yeah. Um, so, really, your question was more about what would I pass on?
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, but this is, I mean, the idea of patience is that's definitely something I, yeah, I think is really important.
1: Yeah patience and timing timing's important Um, i i'm not one for chasing people i i used to be but I've, i've learned that really individuals should take responsibility for themselves i remind them that that's important when they first come to see me but it's amazing how many people think that i will chase up have you done this are you coming back in for a consult will you be wanting this It's not really my job to do that, I don't think. I think it's the responsibility of the individual and I will go at the pace of the individual. Um, Some people need more help and support than others, but I'm certainly not there to chase Mm. and and be looking for people to come in. I, I don't do what I do for the money. Mm. And um, to earn a huge income. I don't think any herbalists actually do because you don't. Most herbalists work part time. And I class myself as part time. I'm of an age where I don't work full time. And because of all the other aspects of what I do and what I enjoy, even to give to my practice and to my charity work, I need other time. Yeah. What people see me as the public image, I need yeah. other time to um, recharge my batteries. Of course and do the things that I want to do as well. So it's about balance in all things. Mm. I think what's important is to learn the art of saying no, <laughs> <laughs> um, or I'm not available for that, or I don't do that. Because we we all of us in all walks of life, we get asked to do things that sometimes push the boundaries too much, or that we're not comfortable with. Mm. Um, it's better to be true to ourselves and I, th- I think we're here to learn in, in life's journey uh, mm. who we really are as individuals mm-hmm. and to recognise within ourselves what's right for us and what isn't mm. and um, they often used to say didn't they older people can be quite rude you know, so old, so I, you know just come out with things and shock you and the older I get and the more I understand that really because you've got to know yourself better, mm. and um, yeah, and perhaps you're a bit letting other people see the true you, you know. Because everybody wears a mask. Mm. In reality, um, you know, you have to you have to be yourself. You mm. have to be true to yourself more than anything else. Mm. And you know, work will. In reality, it doesn't feel like it this year, but work's always there. Even if it's only housework, it's a constant. Um, So what does it matter if it gets left for a bit? Mm. Take a break. So listen to your body. Listen to your intuition. Go with how you feel. Nobody really knows you better than yourself. But if you're not in tune with nature and self, then you're not really taking heed and paying attention. Mm. And when the warning signs pop up, those red flashing lights on your dashboard you do something about it if it was your car but do you do something about it if it's yourself and your own health mm. and really should things shouldn't get left and that's a lesson i learned many years ago that leaving things isn't always the answer go to the people who can help you mm. seek the right help and save all that money and time and wasted energy and, and something else occurring yeah and and, and get a proper help
0: yeah. And you mentioned um, about kind of saying no and, and, and taking time out for yourself. Just before I get on to my last question, is there anything that you do that really helps you to recharge and and look after yourself?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, being outdoors. Mm. Most definitely. Um, getting outdoors every day, no matter what the weather, it's all about wearing the right clothing and footwear and everything else. So even when it's been absolutely freezing this last week, it's it's important to, to be outside, to see see real sky, mm. not just on a television screen. Um, I, I love big landscapes. And when you live in houses and surrounded by buildings, then you've got to perhaps go down even to a park to see a big sky. So a big mm. landscape's important. Go out in a field so you can see that field and the field beyond, and the field beyond, or mm. climb a hill and see... So, see the bigger picture rather than just with your head down, seeing the local streets. Mm. So, yeah, to recharge, I like to, to take in the, the bigger aspect. But I also enjoy just walking to my allotment and getting my hands in the earth and touching the plants, some of the ones we've talked about, and just inhaling their fragrance. Sometimes I go down there and I do nothing but just <laughs> <touch the> plants. <laughs> People think allotments are all work. Sometimes they're not. They're just to be in nature. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not about how tidy it is and how pristine it is. And if you look at my allotment, it's certainly not that. You might see it on Instagram. It's No, that's not what it's about. It's about working with nature and enjoying it. Mm. It's, not, it's not my life's work. <laughs> it's an everyday occurrence. But that helps me to feel relaxed mm. and recharged. Because there's so much technology in our lives now that if you're not careful, you've always got your phone in your pocket, the yeah. thing's always on, there's a radio, there's a television. And it's nice just to leave it all at home and go out. Mm. You know, don't answer it. <laughs> I have a bit of a rule, and I do tell most of my patients, I don't always answer the phone. A, I might be busy doing other things, but, you know, never ring me after 6 o'clock at night. Mm. You know, that's my time. Mm. I'm done with my day. I start early and finish early. Mm. I've got different routines and habits, but you know, there's, there's certain things that I'm done. I don't want to know. Mm. <laughs> to me and, yeah. will to and if it's really urgent, because I'm like a doctor on call as a herbalist, then I'll, I'll deal with it and I'll get back to you. But if it's, if it's not, it'll do another day.
0: Yeah, I love that. It'll do another day. Um, yeah. And, and in particular gets that treatment here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely housework. <laughs> um, and what's your hope for the future? Lots of things. Yeah. So
1: many, so many, many things. Um, I hope that people appreciate what they've learned in this last 12 months and that they don't forget it too quickly and revert back to the life that they used to have. I hope they realise that they've actually benefited hugely from having more perhaps time with partners, with families, getting to know them better, getting to know themselves better, mm. getting a better understanding of what grows in their own area, their own patch, going out on their own daily walk every day, looking in their own garden constantly, or a balcony looking out of the window. I hope they realise and appreciate just what there is without going too far. Mm. So I hope the flights never return. <laughs> that that is changes forever being brought mm-hmm. up as you never went abroad themselves till an adult and never felt the need to i hope that people realize that each of our own countries has got a lot to offer mm-hmm. and if we want to help our businesses and our own communities then we should put our money where our mouth is and we should support the people on our own doorstep mm-hmm. our own communities They're they're the ones we shouldn't, in my opinion, be um, always anchoring after something, thinking that the grass is always greener. You know, two weeks of our lives is only two weeks of our lives, perhaps somewhere on a beach abroad. But what's your lifestyle like? Mm. I hope that's what people realize. It's the rest of the year that's the most important thing. If your lifestyle's of the right sort, you won't feel the need to rush off just for two weeks to bake in the sun or do whatever. Yeah. It's about a lifestyle choice and a way of life,
0: mm. and I
1: hope that's what people learn. Yeah, and I hope governments learn. Yeah, why. yeah, to slow it down and to stop spending ridiculous money on things that you think we want and yeah. the majority of us don't actually want. Certain fast trains carving up nature and countryside and demolishing trees and people's livelihoods, etc. Mm. We'd much prefer cycle paths, mm. public footpaths reopening, safety when we can go out on the bike with the children, walking mm. on a on a pavement safely with a pushchair. Would much prefer that mm. than having all these other things occurring. So mm. I hope, and from, from a farming point of view, this, my list is endless. Yeah, I know, I know. Question: There are so many things, you know, farming. I hope the hedges are put back. Mm. I hope the wildlife boundaries are made. I hope the choley Wood process of bread making is banned with immediate effect. Mm. I hope the cheap wheat that is fed to the nations of the world is banned. Mm. I hope we go back to proper wheat as our ancestors had that doesn't create the intolerances and sensitivities that we've now got. We've bred nations of sick people, third and fourth generations, because we're feeding people the wrong strain and variety of things. And wheat is one of the huge culprits. Mm. We're led down so many paths and blind alleys. We need to open our eyes and take the blinkers off as individuals. Mm. And we need to appreciate what we had and what we've still got. And we need to nurture it and value it and respect it Mm. and talk about it. Yeah. And more than anything, be proud, be confident, because actually we have a lot to offer and a lot to share Mm. Mm. for those that want to listen. Yeah, yeah.
0: I love what you said. I feel like food is, is something that's really been highlighted in this past year and access to food and food inequalities. And I love what you said about community, like down here in Brighton, and I know it's been happening all over the country. There has been such a a community effort to help you know, people that don't necessarily have access to food at the moment, don't have the money, whatever it is. I feel like everything that you say all contributes to that. It's you know everybody having access to that
1: yeah it that shouldn't fair
0: be share share of food the the quality of food yeah
1: absolutely quality i mean what do i want for the future i want all food to be organic which really is what it was when i was a child it's <laughs> got changed what is it about why do we have to have the chemicals the neonicotinoids the all these other things it's it's unnecessary it's for money, it's for business, it's for mass production, it's for all sorts of things that in reality is no good for our health mm. and the health of the planet. It's destructive. Mm. We've been warned of the harm. We've seen the harm. We're experiencing the harm. For goodness sake, mm. people, wake up and stop doing it. Stop buying it. Mm. Stop supplying it. Stop mm. marketing it. You know, it's 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 unnecessary. And yet there's people who can't cook there's generations three generations of families who can't cook so Mm. the other thing I would love is that every child is taught to cook Mm. and grow that every child it happens in school that is key in the curriculum Mm. drops other things off and build in how to cook and how to actually grow Mm. every child should be taught that skill unfortunately we've their mothers and fathers and parents and whoever looks after them and generations above them and generations above them who no longer know some of them have never been taught they don't have the skills so they're totally reliant on pre-prepared convenience food and it's yeah. so so long because that's how you line the pockets of other
0: businesses yeah and that's uh, such a top-down yeah. that's such a top-down thing as well that's you know, the, the 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 knowledge isn't there through no fault of their own it's just yeah. what you know that constant like removing stopped. things from the curriculum <laughs> let's yeah, take all, out arts and
1: all the kitchens that were in schools and all the cookery lessons that kids used to have they all went, mm. they all went because they wanted more and more classrooms to get more and more children in it's like they've they've taken away playing fields they took away lockers they made children carry heavy bags of books mm. damaging backs of young spines. And hips They've, mm. you know insisting because of that that people had to take them to school because they couldn't even walk to school the bags are too heavy mm. just an absolute nonsense so certain things that have been taken away need to be reintroduced and it needs to be more of a priority and a focus mm. a young junior school child can't carry six heavy textbooks yeah. to school it's impossible yeah. so they end up running cars yeah, all sorts of other problems, and 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 you know everybody has the opportunity to choose your own school. You don't get selected that you live in that area, so that's your only one choice of school. You can choose your school, so you end up having to travel. Mm. So more and more jobs on the road because parents are taking children to school. So, but coming back to the cooking, cooking is key. If yeah. you can't cook, you can't live yeah honestly you can't and people have seen that in this last 12 months because they don't know how to cook they haven't been able to deal with going out to where they normally go for the breakfast for the lunch for the dinner where they pick this up where they do that it hasn't been available so they've come unstuck Mm. because it's just not been there it's not been as easy access as it used to be and that's why some of them have discovered actually you know this cooking's fun yeah yeah you know, and I actually enjoy it. Yeah,
0: it's really easy to make bread. <laughs> it, it's easy to make so
1: many things, yeah. and it tastes better. Mm. And and like everything else, first time you do something, you might not get it right. Yeah, but you just keep trying, don't you? You just yeah. and that's the other lesson that we all have to learn as lifelong learners that it's we're not going to be excellent the first time we necessarily do something. Yeah. It, we only learn by failure. And that's a good lesson to teach all children, isn't it? And oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: All, yeah. Of, us, all of us. But I, I think it should be a, a basic standard requirement that every child is taught to cook mm. all the way through school, not, not just in the beginning, but all the way through, and it's encouraged. Mm. And then eventually when they become independent individuals, independence, that's what it means. You can look after yourself. Yeah. You can care for yourself. Yeah. You can even go out and forage your own food. Because it's <laughs> kills.
0: Yeah, it's so true.
1: Remember? And that's what actually used to happen. Yeah. If You go back a few generations. That's what we had. That's how we lived. What have we done? Yeah. To society in the West. What have we done? Yeah. Created huge problems.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hope that there's a kind of turning of the of the cog to something that might be more sustainable. I feel like there's a a very slow progress in some areas, but yeah, there is still so much inequality and inequity and all of that sort of stuff. Um, So this has just been such a pleasure speaking to you, Barbara, Um, before we go, can you kind of let people know where they can find you about the Herb Society, how they can get involved? Um, Yeah, all the stuff. (laughs) Yeah, certainly.
1: Um, They can go and look at the website for the Herb Society UK. Um, I'm sure we can put some links up with this.
0: Yeah, I'll put Um, them in the show
1: notes. um, As um, a member of council, I'm on obviously on the website with my colleagues. Um, My practice is obviously separate and I'm known as the Springfield Clinic, which is a name that I kept from my predecessor, who I used to work (laughs) with. We haven't really talked much about that. But uh, we've had so many other things to talk about. So it's you can 25. come again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my name's out there. So I'm, I'm easy to get hold of. I don't bother with a website myself. Most of what I do is through communication in, in other ways. Um, and I'm busy enough. Um, mm. So I do take new patients on. Um, and I do work with other people and I do events so yeah so if anybody wants to um, approach the Herb Society and look to get us as speakers or to do events or courses I met somebody just yesterday uh, while I was out um, whose teacher who would be interested in connecting um, to help with the children in the school oh, cool. uh, once again with growing and, and cooking and things of that sort so we can connect people which mm-hmm. is lovely so I, I do suggest people look at the website for the herb society and of course look at the instagram i'm the person behind the page with 34,000 followers and it's
0: amazing it is an amazing page <laughs> you
1: know and talk about trendy i'd never here <laughs> and it's something that i've never wanted to do and yet again it's become something that's just taken off and mm. does really well and again, I use it as a tool to help me to continue to learn and to continue to connect. So in actual fact, I'm also benefiting from it. Mm. And the charity has benefited hugely because so many followers are becoming members. Mm. So we are booking the trend as far yeah. as fighters are concerned. We are growing. Yeah. Um, and that's because we're teaching. Yeah. Teachers are there to develop knowledge and to share. Yeah. And that's what the Herb Society is about. It's education. That's what Hilda wanted first and foremost. That people are educated. Yeah. It all comes back to that. It's um, it's it's learning these skills and having this knowledge and passing it on. Yeah, so What to get to our 100 years, our centenary, of course, to go and uh, and way beyond that because yeah. we'll never have fashion if it is a fashion, um, which it isn't. It's
0: a way of life. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's That's talk to you Helen. I've just found this so like encouraging, interesting, (laughs) just all of it, inspiring.
1: Lovely, well I'm talking about my favourite subject so for
0: me it's very easy. Thank you so much for listening. I got so much out of that conversation. In the meditation and writing prompt that follows this episode, we'll be taking inspiration from Barbara's words on growing and nurturing plants and applying it to our creative work. As always, I'm sending you lots of love. Happy writing and I'll speak to you soon.